What's up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome to the Philip DeFranco Show, and we're gonna jump right into it. Let's get started. Oh no! <laughs> you know I, hate that. I know, that's why I did it. Another new host that I had to fire. I am sorry, Dr. Mike. I'd be fine with another host that was more attractive than me, but not that much more attractive. That said, despite Dr. Mike's unfortunate firing, if you'd like to listen to our brand new podcast over on the youtube.com slash a convo with channel or just audio on all the popular podcast platforms, you can just uh, click the link in the description down below. Both are available. We've been putting them out every single Wednesday. It's been awesome to watch kind of just that channel grow. And this one was really fun because Dr. Mike is an actual doctor. So in addition to kind of the more personal stuff, I mean, we talked about vaping, vaccines, body positivity versus, you know, real health concerns, a lot of stuff. I highly recommend you check that out. But with that said, we have a uh, an interesting show today. Be sure to buckle up, hit that like button as always, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're going to talk about today is an update around Carson King. And in case you missed it this week, we named Carson King a BAMF of the day. And this because, you know, it all started with this kind of silly thing. On ESPN's College Game Day, he held up a sign that read, Bush Light Supply Needs Replenish. It included his Venmo username. He made a few hundred dollars. But then he wanted to make it a bigger deal and said, you know what, I want to donate it to a children's hospital. And all of a sudden you had Anheuser-Busch, right? They, they gifted him a one-year supply of beer. They put his name and face on the can. They and Venmo both saying that they would match donations that people sent in. And the guy ended up raising over $1 million. And, and that number is still rising right now because he's still accepting donations. And so I, and I imagine many others were like, yes, finally, a good piece of news. Carson King is a badass motherfucker. But then yesterday, the Des Moines Register publishes a profile on Carson King. And in that profile about King raising seven figures for a children's hospital, they also decided to report on two racist tweets that King made back in 2012 when he was 16 years old. The reporter writing, the routine background check of King's social media revealed two racist jokes, one comparing black mothers to gorillas and another making light of black people killed in the Holocaust. Reportedly while writing about the story, that reporter Aaron Calvin actually asked King about those tweets. To which King told him that the tweets made him sick and that he was remorseful for them, also telling the Register, that's not something that I'm proud of at all. After talking with the Register, he reportedly thanked the newspaper for bringing those tweets to his attention, then deleting them. But actually, before that article was published, King reached out to a local TV station to defend himself, saying in a statement that those posts quoted and referenced the show Tosh.0. And while reading a statement to reporters, he apologized. I am embarrassed and stunned to reflect on what I thought was funny when I was a 16-year-old kid. And I want to sincerely apologize. I don't want you know, what I did when I was 16 to take away from the fact that, you know, we're over 1.14 million dollars for the children's hospital. King then taking to Twitter to apologize. Also being very respectful of the Des Moines Register, saying that they had been nothing but kind in all their coverage. And I appreciate the reporter pointing out the post to me, adding, I want everyone to understand that this was my decision to publicly address the posts and apologize. I believe that is the right thing to do. Still with this, you had Anheuser-Busch cutting ties with King, saying, yes, they'll still do the match, but that they'll have no further association with him. And that's because King's posts, quote, do not allow with our values as a brand or as a company. And so after all of this happened, we saw something very interesting happen on social media. A large amount of the reaction, instead of calling for King to be canceled or to be shamed, we saw the hashtag stand with Carson begin trending on Twitter. You had a large number of people angry at Anheuser-Busch. One user writing, so let me get this straight, Carson King makes a sign that results in him raising one plus million dollars to donate to sick kids. And some idiot in Des Moines decided to be a douche and dox his tweet from almost a decade ago. Bush beer, you just went from hero to zero. Another saying that King has grown since he made those tweets. We're all flawed. We've all done and said regrettable things. We've all matured since the age of 16. Carson King did something 
something universally good and selfless. We haven't all done that. And along with all of this, you saw a good amount of backlash towards the reporter and the Des Moines Register. Are people asking why publish this information when King, just a normal person raising money for others? To which the Des Moines Register responded, issuing a statement saying that the paper's executive editors and several editors had a discussion on whether or not to publish them, saying the jokes were highly inappropriate and were public posts. Shouldn't that be acknowledged to all the people who had donated money to King's cause or were planning to do so? But then also countering that question with, the tweets were posted seven years ago when King was 16 and he was remorseful. Should we chalk up the post to a youthful mistake and omit the information? And ultimately, the editors decided to include the information at the bottom of the article in an attempt to be transparent. With the editor then concluding the statement by saying, reasonable people can look at the same set of facts and disagree on what merits publication. But rest assured, such decisions are not made lightly and are rooted in what we perceive as the public good. To which it appears that part of the internet was like, okay, sounds great, let's flip it. And so we actually saw people digging up the reporter Aaron Calvin's old tweets. Those tweets made between 2010 and 2013 also included racist and even homophobic language. Also, according to some reports, he repeatedly used the N-word. And then Calvin found himself apologizing for those tweets saying, hey, just wanted to say that I have deleted previous tweets that have been inappropriate or insensitive. I apologize for not holding myself to the same high standards as the register holds others. And following that, this morning we saw Calvin change his Twitter profile to private. We've also seen the register declining to comment on Calvin's old tweets, but they have also said that they have launched an investigation. And as far as my reaction to this, I mean, one, I personally think that Carson King has handled himself fantastically. He's owned his past, he's acknowledged his past, he's apologized for his past. If you look to most people's past, to obviously a different degree, people have said, horrible and stupid shit. And I say that including myself in this group. If I if I met me from, could be honestly, four years ago, especially 10 years ago, I'd probably wanna punch that dude in the face. But I think often rather than those old things being something that just pulls someone down in the present, it can kind of show the level of growth. Right? And it's part of the conversation of, okay, when, when we highlight these things, is it because we want to learn from these things or is it because we just wanna cancel and destroy? I understand even this conversation we're having about this now, this is, this is an evolving argument. How people re- would have reacted to this maybe two or three years ago is vastly different. But ultimately, you know, that's my opinion based off of my personal life experience. We don't get to control how others receive information, which I guess regarding this story and that note, of course, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts regarding the, the whole thing that we've seen here? Then we actually got an update on that the Joker controversy story we talked about yesterday. And there you might remember, you know, we covered some of the families of those who were killed in the Aurora shooting back in 2012, having concerns about the movie. And Warner Brothers actually responded to this letter in a statement saying, our company has a long history of donating to victims of violence, including Aurora, and in recent weeks, our parent company joined other business leaders to call on policymakers to enact bipartisan legislation to address this epidemic. At the same time, Warner Bros. believes that one of the functions of storytelling is to provoke difficult conversations around complex issues. Make no mistake, neither the fictional character Joker nor the film is an endorsement of real-world violence of any kind. It is not the intention of the film, the filmmakers, or the studio to hold this character up as a hero. But now, the update that we're seeing involves the U.S. Army. According to a report from Gizmodo, the U.S. military issued a warning to troops about incel violence at Joker screenings. With their report saying, the U.S. Army confirmed on Tuesday that the warning was widely distributed after social media posts related to extremists classified as incel were uncovered by intelligence officials at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. That September 18th email reportedly telling service members going to a movie theater to remain aware of their surroundings, identify to escape routes. In the event of a shooting, they were instructed to run, hide, fight. Though notably, that notice said that this was just a precautionary 
measure. Although reportedly, according to a separate memo that was released on Monday, the Army had obtained credible intelligence from Texas law enforcement officials pertaining to disturbing and very specific chatter on the dark web regarding the targeting of an unknown movie theater during the release. But once again, regarding this, an Army spokesperson said that they routinely do this for safety and security. And so I wanted to include this today because one, I wanted to provide an update to the story we covered yesterday. Two, I wanted to inform you on kind of probably what a lot of people are going to see is passing headlines regarding the potential for violence. And three, it's going to be interesting to see if the concerns from earlier this week and now this new reporting does affect the box office next weekend. But yeah, for now, we're going to have to kind of just wait and see. Then in Quickie Jewel News, we're seeing what looks to be a kind of shakeup today. One, tobacco giant Altria Group announced they are no longer seeking a merger with Philip Morris International. And that is notable because Altria Group owns 35% of Jewel Labs. Two, Jewel Labs announced that effective immediately, they will suspend all broadcast, print, and digital product advertising in the United States. And three, the CEO and co-founder of Jewel Labs, Kevin Burns, is stepping down. And seemingly regarding the CEO position, Jewel Labs was looking for a safer, Alternative, you see what I'm doing there. Okay, it's not that clever, but I try to enjoy myself with this show. Reportedly, Burns is being replaced by a man named Casey Crosswaite, a man who could be the nicest man in the world, but with that name, he sounds like an evil oil bear. But that said, regarding who he is, interestingly enough, he's the CGO, the chief growth officer at Altria, who of course we just mentioned. And also, according to reports, he was formerly an executive overseeing Marlboro cigarettes. And notably there, it was reported that he was in charge of pushing into non-combustible cigarette devices like the IQOS. But yeah, there's a lot of movement in this space right now, and it's gonna be important to, to watch, one, what the industry itself does, and two, what, what regulators try and do. Then, while we're on quickies, we should mention it is that time of year again. Massive and OG creator that is Shane Dawson, who over the past year and a half has kind of turned into a mini documentarian, creating these kind of traffic stopping on YouTube must-watch videos. I mean, the least viewed one that he's released in the past seven months has 29 million views. He came out with a trailer called The Beautiful World of Jeffree Star. Based on the trailer, it looks like it follows both Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson, since They've been very close since he did the last documentary. Makeup collaborations, among other things. But notably, and it's going to be interesting to see how much of a part of this it is. It also appears that it's going to take on the the James Charles, Tati Westbrook, Jeffree Star, and even to a certain degree, Shane Dawson controversy. That was easily one of the biggest controversies and scandals. There were massive allegations. Then it kind of just went away after certain things were refuted. And it'll be interesting to see how that's covered, how in depth that is, or if it's kind of just a a small little glimpse to get people interested in the rest of it. So we'll see what happens there. Is it it gonna be kind of more insight? Is there gonna be kind of um, amending? Or is it gonna be kind of the the reopening of a wound? But yeah, if everything stays on schedule, we will learn on October 1st. And I guess a question to those that remember that whole controversy and scandal, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts about it potentially coming back? Also, are you like some people we're seeing that are concerned about the potential bias or presentation since Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson are friends? And of course, a big part of that controversy and scandal were the huge claims levied by Jeffree Star. But yeah, ultimately, we're going to have to wait and see there. And then, well, I mean, that's it. There was no other news today that uh, mattered or happened. I'll see you next time. Okay, fine. We're going to talk about the impeachment inquiry and the the not transcript transcript, even though everyone keeps saying transcript. But here we go. And so where we left off yesterday is that it was expected that as our video was going up or right after, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi would announce that the House is formally launching an impeachment inquiry. And this reportedly ended Trump's alleged efforts to pressure the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, to investigate Joe Biden. Those allegations stem from a whistleblower complaint that claims Trump did so on a phone call with a Ukrainian leader in July and possibly on other occasions. But as of right now, the details there remain unknown as the complaint has not been made public. And understand that's kind of a a watered down version of this story. If you want the full context, the full detail, you can watch the last two shows. But yes, in our announcement about the impeachment inquiry, we saw Pelosi say, The actions taken to date by the president have seriously violated the Constitution, especially when the president says, 
Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. And this week, the president has admitted to asking the president of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The, action of the, the actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. I'm directing our six committees to proceed with their investigations under that umbrella of impeachment inquiry. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. Okay, so this is a big move. This is a big swing, but there's still a lot of moving parts and a lot that needs to happen before any real moves on impeachment can be made, right? Because the key phrase here is that this is just an impeachment inquiry, meaning that this is basically an investigation into whether or not the House will even begin impeachment proceedings, right? Like when it comes to impeachment, this is a baby step, a massively important baby step, but a baby step. So Pelosi announces the inquiry and we see Trump respond on Twitter with Trump saying such an important day at the United Nations, so much work and so much success. And the Democrats purposely had to ruin and demean it with more breaking news which hunt garbage. So bad for our country. Also adding, they never even saw the transcript of the call, a total witch hunt. And later going back to one of his classics, presidential harassment. Then continuing, Secretary of State Pompeo received permission from Ukraine government to release the transcript of the telephone call I had with their president, which was kind of further confirmation of what we already thought was coming with Trump promising to release the transcript even before Pelosi's announcement. And then this morning we saw the White House release the memo and transcript have kind of been used interchangeably in the media. I mean, the document itself says memorandum of telephone conversation. And at the bottom, it says caution. A memorandum of a telephone conversation is not a verbatim transcript of a discussion. The text in this document records the notes and recollections of situation room duty officers and NSC policy staff assigned to listen and memorialize a conversation in written form as the conversation takes place. And I just want to mention that to kind of explain why you're seeing people use different terms and, and, and argue about that. And so moving on, in this document, it starts with Trump congratulating Zelensky on his presidential win. He tells Zelensky that the United States does a lot for Ukraine, saying, I will say that we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time, much more than the European countries are doing. Also mentioning Germany's Angela Merkel saying she talks Ukraine, but she doesn't do anything. But the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily because things are happening that are not good. But the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. And to this, the document says, Zelensky says, yes, you are absolutely right. Not only 100%, but actually 1000%. The conversation then continues a, a noted point in it. As according to the document, Zelensky says, I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next step. Specifically, we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. To which the document says that President Trump responds, I would like you to do us a favor though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say crowd strike. Adding, I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. He then references Robert Mueller and adds, they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it if that's possible. Which Zelensky responds, yes, it is very important for me and every thing that you just mentioned earlier. And then later in the document, we see Biden mentioned. With President Trump saying the other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it, it sounds horrible to me. Though regarding this note, the Justice Department said that Barr was unaware of this until weeks after the call. Right, and so from this, you had some claiming that this could be interpreted as quid pro quo. That given that a week before this phone call, Trump had ordered a hold of hundreds of millions of dollars from Ukraine. Right, accusations that Donald Trump was 
holding aid over Zelensky's head. Right, Zelensky saying that he wants to buy javelins. Donald Trump responds, I would like you to do us a favor though. Then later there's that Biden request. But at the same time, you have people claiming that it is not explicit. President Trump does not specifically say, you gotta do this or I'm not gonna give you what you want. Although the pushback against that, to, to repeat a, a metaphor given in the Washington Post, it's difficult to see how Zelensky could interpret that set of circumstances as something other than a strong suggestion and even a veiled threat. It's equivalent to your boss repeatedly suggesting you do something while noting what your compensation is without explicitly making a demand. All right, so that's where we're seeing a lot of debate and a lot of spin today. But also of note, many Democrats have been pointing out and claiming that the whistleblower complaint reportedly contains more instances than just the one phone call. All right, so they're arguing that there could be a more direct example of quid pro quo in the complaint, which is why they want to see it. Also regarding Zelensky today, while with Trump, he said- Sure, that we had, uh, I think, good uh, phone call. It was normal. We spoke about many things and I, so, so I think, and you read it, that nobody pushed it, pushed me. Yes. In other words, no pressure. And of course, following this, there were a number of reactions, with Nancy Pelosi releasing a statement after the transcript was released saying, the release of the notes of the call by the White House confirms that the president engaged in behavior that undermines the integrity of our elections, the dignity of the office he holds, and our national security. The president has tried to make lawlessness a virtue in America and now is exporting it abroad. I respect the responsibility of the president to engage with foreign leaders as part of his job. It is not part of his job to use taxpayer money to shake down other countries for the benefit of his campaign. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeting, folks, I am surprised the White House even released this transcript. It's worse than we thought. The president sought to use the powers of the United States government to investigate a political opponent. We have no choice but to impeach. And House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff saying, transcript of the call reads like a classic mob shakedown. We do a lot for Ukraine. There's not much reciprocity. I have a favor to ask. Investigate my opponent. My people will be in touch. Nice country you got there. It would be a shame if something happened to her. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, you had people like Senator Lindsey Graham saying, wow, impeachment over this? What a nothing non-quid pro quo burger. Democrats have lost their minds when it comes to President Trump. You also had Trump sending out tweets, one quoting Fox News' Brett Baer saying, you don't see a direct quid pro quo in this. Also this morning, we saw Donald Trump speak directly to this. There was no pressure. The way you had that built up, that call, it was going to be the call from hell. It turned out to be a nothing call other than a lot of people said, I never knew you could be so nice. And ultimately, as of recording this video, that, that's where we are with this. Now understand, this is not representative of all debate happening. I mean, among other things, you have people sharing like old videos of Nancy Pelosi and old videos of Lindsey Graham during the, the Bill Clinton impeachments, people saying, ah, oh, hypocrites. But the goal in talking about this now is, is what is in there, what is being focused on, what is being debated about. And then while all of that still continues to happen and develop, what happens next? And regarding that, we're now seeing reports that the White House has turned over the full whistleblower complaint to both the House and Senate Intelligence Committees afternoon. Also, like we mentioned yesterday, the whistleblower has said they want to testify before the House and Senate, but we'll have to wait and see there. Also, on the note of Joe Biden, seeing reports that senior Ukrainian officials expect a renewed investigation into Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company that had Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, on its board, but saying it would be reopened alongside several other cases as part of Zelensky's anti-corruption drive, but not to please Trump or to target Joe Biden. But ultimately, that's where we are with this. Things are still developing, small, large, kind of funny. As we were finishing up today, we saw reports like White House accidentally sent Democrats talking points on Trump Ukraine call. But the main point is this is still evolving. It is still developing. There's obviously going to be a lot of focus on this. I'm personally interested to see what else is in that whistleblower complaint, because like we talked about today and yesterday, apparently it's supposed to be more than just this one phone call. Ultimately, we'll have to wait and see. And hey, while we wait, I'd love to know your thoughts on this in the comments down below. And that is where we're going to end today's show. And hey, if you like diving into the news today with me, be sure to hit that like button. Also, if you're new here, you want more of these dives into the news, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Definitely click that bell to turn on notifications. I ran out of air. Also, if you're not 100% filled in, maybe you missed yesterday's Philip DeFranco 
show you want to catch up, or maybe you want to watch that brand new podcast with Dr. Mike and click or tap right there to watch either of those. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.